Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. Hey church, our scripture for today is Matthew 6, 7 through 15. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The word of God for the people of God. Today, we are caught in a paradox. We say goodbye to Pastor Katie as our minister of family life. And at the same time that we grieve her leaving, we also rejoice in the faithful work she has done while serving Azel Christian Church. One of the many things I have appreciated about Pastor Katie is her adaptability. She joined us at the end of 2019 And as you all know, a few months later, the world shut down. And the whole church has learned to worship in different ways. At home, outside, in a tiny chapel, in an empty sanctuary, in the parking lot, on our iPhones, and even in the car. And we have embraced flexibility as a virtue and exercised our change muscle regularly. And in addition to the rigorous and dangerous work as a healthcare worker during the soaring heights of the pandemic, Katie found ways to reach out and hold space and practice patience and maintain a vision of her vocation here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for that, we are so grateful to you, Katie. And one of the things that Pastor Katie has taught us all, surreptitiously through Little Church, is hand motions to the Lord's Prayer, which we just did a moment ago as a congregation. And she and I talked a lot when preparing for Little Church about what each line means so that we could come up with appropriate and meaningful motions. And our first challenge was to get to the bottom of, hallowed be thy name. And we eventually decided on cupping our hands upward like we would if we were holding something precious. And this open-handed posture is a way to say, we place no constraint on you, God. God gave us God's name in Exodus when Moses encountered the burning bush. We learned the name of God was, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be so that the idea of God is dynamic. God cannot be contained or constrained, and we begin our prayer together recognizing that reality. 
And as we continue on in the prayer outlined here in the Sermon on the Mount given to us by Jesus with the hope that God's kingdom comes. And this next line is tricky because we don't live in a kingdom with a king. We're a federal representative democratic republic. I had to look it up, the official name. But Jesus lived in a kingdom ruled by an emperor, maintained by an army. So this prayer, your kingdom come, was not a mere metaphor for Jesus. This phrase inherently had a political edge. By praying, your kingdom come, God, Jesus was saying the kingdom he was living in, one ruled by Pontius Pilate, Herod Antipas, and the Roman Empire, was not God's kingdom. This ain't it, he was saying. And whenever we pray this prayer, we too recognize that any kingdom or government or nation that we live in is not itself the realization of God's reign. And as we move further down this prayer, we shift our gaze from upward to outward. And you'll notice that this prayer uses plural pronouns, ours, us, we, because underlying this entire practice is that prayer is not a private event, even if we're praying alone. Prayer connects us to God and to one another, and it lifts those points of connection to the surface of our consciousness and attention. And so, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are asking for more than a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for ourselves. So if we unpack this phrase like we might a loaf of sliced bread, we'll find a lot of layers in this simple phrase. One and most obvious is that if we are praying for daily bread, it means that we do not have a stockpile of bread, that we are not hoarding resources, but rather trusting in the promise of enough for everyone. And if saying daily bread makes you think of manna in the wilderness for the Israelites, then you are thinking with a Jewish imagination, which is what Jesus is hoping for, talking to a Jewish audience. The kingdom of God is one of sharing and trusting in God's faithful provision. And if we pull out another slice of bread, we'll see another allusion to something important. And this time, we're not looking backwards, but forwards. This bread helps us look forward to the banquet for which we wait, a foretaste of glory divine. And we practice this anticipation each week at the table of our Lord, and we pray for the day when everyone is gathered around it with our gracious host to break bread, a symbol of God's blessing. And finally, that last end slice reminds us of Jesus' own solidarity with the poor. He begins the Sermon on the Mount aligning himself with the poor, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And as we pray together this line, give us this day our daily bread, we're remembering our own abundance and the unequal distribution of resources that still exists in the kingdoms that we live in, in the world we live in. And we're praying for a different kingdom, one where everyone gets something to eat. And then we keep our gaze outward 
as we continue to move down the prayer, this time stretching out to those who have hurt us and those whom we have hurt. And we ask for forgiveness for our debts, our trespasses, our sins, all valid translations. And sin in the context of first century Judaism is imagined in a number of ways, a burden, a stain, a debt, so that when we are praying for forgiveness and help to forgive, we are praying for a restoration of balance in the world. And this is a two-part prayer because it would be hypocritical for us to say to God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then not do it. Because we are God's movement through the world. Your will be done means that if someone needs, another provides. If the balance has been disrupted, it's up for us to write it. And as we near the end of the prayer, we get to language about temptation. And I remember Katie explaining temptation in Little Church, that it was like an itch. And I was a little skeptical at first, but I think this definition is helpful because it's rare that when we are tempted, we are faced with a stark moral dilemma, one that is clear-cut and easy to see what is right or wrong. Rather, temptation is like an itch, sometimes benign, sometimes indicative of something more sinister, sometimes easily remedied, and sometimes requiring more severe measures. And when we pray for help to resist evil and temptation, we're asking that we be people whose lives are so oriented towards God's ways that we are not tempted to use our resources only for ourselves, that we're not tempted to dominate and lord our power over others, that we not desire the riches of the world, but rather attend to its needs. And that brings us to the ending of the prayer that we pray. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Which you may have noticed was not included in our reading. It's not part of the gospel. It's part of other earlier Christian documents. But it seals the deal. Because while no one line is magic and the words will not save us alone, the movement of this prayer reminds us of the world that God wants the world that we are looking forward to, the world that is coming and is even now here. And each time we pray this prayer together, we are orienting ourselves to the ways of God, one that recognizes God's own freedom and one that puts our relationship to one another right in front of our faces. And by engaging in this prayer each week together, we are shaping our vision in ways we don't even realize, that we're not even clocking. There was a study done in 2019 on the effect religious chanting had on the brain. Now, personal prayer has been studied quite a bit by researchers. NPR had a series a few years ago called This Is Your Brain on Prayer. I highly recommend, fascinating. And even more than prayer, scientists have been fascinated with what happens to our brain activity during meditation. But the field of studying religious collective chanting is still very new. 
And the study looked at a specific chant done by Buddhist monks that focused on being reborn in a new world. And as you might expect, there was some crossover on the effects that prayer and meditation have on the brain, that on a physiological level, it lowers our stress levels. And on a psychological level, it alters the way we re view reality. The more one prays, the more one focuses on something. The more one focuses on something, the more that focus becomes their reality. The more it becomes written in the neural connections of the brain. And that focus is not unique to prayer, but it is a quality of sustained prayer. But the religious chanting study had some additional findings. Religious chanting, as opposed to non-religious chanting, increased delta band power in our brain, which makes us sleep better. And it also has been suggested that delta band power promotes healing from injury and pathology and promotes neuroplasticity, the adaptability and growth of brain cells. So stay with me. <laughs> in summary, religious chanting with a focus on a new world helps one rest, promotes healing of the body from injury and sickness, and encourages adaptability and growth in unseen yet measurable ways. So, in a way, one could argue that actually saying the Lord's Prayer together is doing on a physiological level what we hope it is doing on a spiritual and societal level. I mean, come on. Rest is a byproduct and tool of liberation. If one can get rest, it means they are free from Pharaoh's economy, one that demands constant productivity and progress, one who demands our bodies be a sacrifice on the altar of work. But if one can truly rest without fear of danger or retribution or loss of resources, that means they are free. And healing from both injuries such as warfare and poverty, as well as societal pathologies such as oppression in all its forms, is what we are praying for when we talk about bread and forgiveness and debts and the kingdom of God coming. And you know, neuroplasticity is the term for our brain to change through growth and reorganization. And the promise of the reign of God is abundant and fertile life. With the hierarchies flattened, with the guest list to the table of our Lord, including everybody. And this growth and reorganization is moving outward and inward and upward and downward. It's changing the ways that we encounter the world. On a micro level, what saying something religious together, reciting the Lord's Prayer in unison regularly, does to our bodies and our brains is what we are praying for on a macro level. 
May everyone find a place under their own vine and fig tree, as the prophet Micah says, and no one shall make them afraid. May everyone find healing and wholeness universally and in their particularity in God's kingdom. May what was lost be restored, and may we give ourselves over to the reordering of the reign of God, trusting that while flexibility and adaptability are not biblical virtues per se, they are reflections of a life open to new life, to resurrection possibilities, to the turning upside down of the world in order to right it. And that is what we pray for together each Sunday, letting our voices be for one another an anchor and a reminder and a prayer for the world God wants and is creating through the spirit of the living Christ inside each of us. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.